Welcome to the Kara's Cares Digital Show and Podcast, where we explore the cutting edge of wellness. I'm Kara Sundland. This episode is sponsored by the Center for Advanced Reproductive Services. So you might be worried about just how much social media could affect your teen's mental health. Child psychologist Dr. Laura Saunders is here now with some of the latest research to help us out. Hi, Dr. Laura. Hello, Kara. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you know, this is such a big issue because we're always seeing our kids like this looking at phones. And now there is some research to suggest it can affect mental health. Yes. And so there's actually been dozens and dozens of, of research studies that have come out talking about the effects of social media on our teens. And, um, and, and they, they have a lot of mixed findings. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the research on, um, on, on alcohol for adults. It's like, is it good for you? Is it not good for you? We want it to be good a little bit. So, but, um, so there was a really large study that came out, actually came out of, uh, out of England. Um, and it, I, I read it in the New York times. Right. And I, it was good. It was a good study because it was so comprehensive, right? They looked at 80,000 teens. Um, and as parents and, and teachers and mental health professionals, we, we have a lot of concern. I constantly rail against social media um, and all sorts of forms of technology. And maybe that's because I didn't grow up with it. And I think it's a sort of a better way of life. Uh, but these, these researchers really did a, a multi-year study looking more closely at the relationship between social media and an adolescent's feelings about life and functioning. And we found that there is a correlation, especially with some teens, for anxiety and depression. So what the research identified is that there were two distinct periods um, in each sort of gendered group where they were most sensitive to the influence of social media. Um, and it may negatively affect their overall life satisfaction. So for females... It's around the time of puberty, so around ages 11 to 13. So that time is a very vulnerable time for females. There's lots of changes going on with their bodies and their minds. Um, and social media does lots of social comparison. So that is a really vulnerable time. For boys, it's around age 14 or 15, because they, they which would also be coinciding with their kind of puberty, because sometimes they start a little bit later in puberty. Um, and then again, for both genders, it's around age 19. And if you think about age 19 developmentally, that's a launching off point um, where kids are out of high school, maybe going to college or entering the workforce. Um, so that age period around 19 developmentally is where they would also be very sensitive to the negative influence um, of social media. Right. And, and there wasn't like a cause and effect, like, oh, if you look at social media, you have depression or anxiety. But it, there was definitely what they found that a lot of times certain kids may be looking at it so much that they're also missing out on other things that would bring them happiness. Right. And that's a really, really important point, Kara, is that this is not research that looks at direct cause and effects. Like, if you do this, then this bad thing happens. It looks at more of the indirect effects. So some of the indirect effects um, have to do with how social media and technology displaces other extracurricular activities, um, like exercise. It, it's, it's probably one of the biggest things that, that is across the board, um, negative effects of social media, is that it interrupts and disrupts and interferes with sleep. 
for young people, which is absolutely critical. Um, but what it sometimes also does in these vulnerable, vulnerable periods is that it um, displaces face-to-face -face interactions. It, it, it's not, it's where we're not really, you know, thinking about, oh, I have an issue. I'm going to call my friend and talk to them. It's, I'm going to put it out on an app. Um, and I think a lot of young people ha live under the illusion that things that they post on social media for their friends is just seen by their friends when that really is a, very much an illusion. Right. They'll say it's my private story or only a few people are there. But you see lots of kids in your office where uh, that that does not hold true. It's permanent. It's you have to think of whatever you're putting out on social media, that there is a permanence there and that anyone could see it because anyone can screenshot these things. Exactly. And actually what I the guideline I I've said and I encourage other people to say is only post things that you would want your mother or your teacher to see, right? Because if, if you're posting things because you believe no one will see it, you are under a very serious illusion that no one will see it because people do see it, right? There's ways to screenshot or take pictures or do other things. Um, you know, the hard part is that adolescent, just there's so much development that happens for adolescents in the course of like from 11 to 19 or 20. Um, and it's just a constant period of changes and it, within those changes, there's periods of vulnerability. So it's just being more cognizant and aware of those vulnerable periods um, and knowing your, knowing your kids, knowing your, your teens, knowing the, if you're a teacher, the kids in your classroom, if you're a coach, um, you know, if you run an activity, if you've got nieces and nephews, you know, taking a good look at the young people around you and, and questioning if, if someone's struggling. So the other thing is we have to acknowledge that social media could have some positive effects as well if it's used right. It does have positive effects. I don't always emphasize the positive effects, but in fact, it does. You know, it does create support for, and I think a lot of times, like during COVID, online or social media, or, I mean, obviously we had, you know, Zoom, um, and Teams classrooms, you know, there it created a lot of connectivity that was not existent for a long time. So that's an area where it was helpful. Otherwise, I mean, these young people would have had zero contact with, with peers, um, especially for those first like four to six months of COVID. So it does create a sense of connection. There's lots of creativity. There's people that like to do post stories and, and poems and, and there's lots of like artistic things to post. Um, so, you know, there's that piece. So some support, connection and creativity can really be a benefit of social media. So how do you know if you're looking at your teen and you're thinking, gosh, your moods are up and down and I think you have some anxiety and how much of this could be as parents were like, put the phone down, put the phone down. How do we know how much is really being affected by the social media? So I always like to look at um, functioning. And what we say is that no, no matter what the issue, does it hinder your child's functioning? Does it hinder your teen's functioning? Were they previously having okay grades and they, you know, yes, they were on social media, but they left the house, they interacted with friends, they participated in a sport or another activity. Um, and, you know, now is there a change? Are they refusing to leave their room? Are they, you know, not going to any family-based activities because they just, you know, they're caught up in video games or they're caught up in other, in other kinds of things. So 
what we look for is a change in functioning and if it hinders their functioning. So if, if it's, you know, their grades are decreased or they're not leaving the house or they're not previously interested in activities that were interesting or pleasurable to them. So we look for a change in function. And in these situations, what I always say is parents know their children. And when they see, you know, and that there's a massive change. And I'm not talking about like, you know, irritable in the morning and, you know, tired and moody in the evening. I'm talking about changes that are much more marked, um, long-term and, you know, difficult to manage. Are there certain apps that are worse? We've heard a lot about Instagram. They've had some, uh, we've heard about TikTok. I mean, as parents are looking out there and trying to have these conversations, does it matter which app and should you try and take your kid off of it or is it better to more uh, teach them how to use it? So I am of the school to teach them how to use it. Um, I had a situation in, in a parent and teen I was working with and the parent kept refusing to let the teen have a particular app. I think it was like Snapchat. Yeah. And the, the team would do is it would get taken off their phone and then because they have access to technology and information that certainly I don't have, they would somehow get it back on their phone. And then the parent would take their phone away. And then, you know, that's the only way young people communicate, right? When I was in high school, we called each other on the phone, but young people don't do that anymore. So then they, that team would be isolated again. I said, let's flip the script here and let's have you allow them to have Snapchat, but you become their, their, their friend, or I mean, that you're on it too, or it's your account. So you can get into it at any time, um, or TikTok, whatever it is. Let's, instead of trying to forbid it, and then it's the, the child's constantly circumventing and trying to get around it, um, and creating this pattern of, of allowing privileges and then consequences, and then privileges and consequences, it's, it's draining. Let's do a change of the script on it and let's monitor it. So it's your account. You can check it at any time. Um, you'll know if they're, you know, they're doing something that they're not supposed to be doing. Um, you can ask, you know, direct questions. Who's this friend or who's this friend? Um, so a, a lot of times I, I would err on the side of supervision and monitoring as opposed to outright bans. So what about when they become teens? And the teens are very crafty, right? They want everything to be private. They look at it like it's their modern day journal and that moms and dads shouldn't be able to read everything they write because they communicate with their friends over Snapchat. So I do think, so along a developmental spectrum, right? So 13, 14, even into like 15, I think parents need to, to play a little bit more of a role. When we get to like upper end of 15, 16, 17, we have to allow a little bit of trust because what I think of in those situations is that 16 or, you know, I have a 17 year old, they're going to be on, they're going to be away at college in, in five, six months. And I'm not going to be there at all to monitor. So they have to ha start to develop a skill set of judgment. Now I would, you know, sometimes I like to say teens have little to no judgment, but they have to develop that skill set. So they have to, you know, say, oh, this made me feel uncomfortable. I'm going to tell my parent about it. Or this made me feel uncomfortable. I'm going to delete this person. Um, so it, as they get a little older developmentally, you want to start to extend a little bit of trust. And again, I'm not saying a long tether of trust. I'm saying a little bit of trust where you allow them to, you know, engage in things, whether it's various apps or other things. Um, and 
and then look for those changes, right? So when you're looking for changes in behavior, because that lets you know that something's going wrong. And you also say it's important that we have some rules around screen time. Like you can't have it at certain times of the day. I mean, encouraging folks to take breaks because it is addictive. It's highly addictive and it's addictive for us as adults, right? I mean, there isn't anywhere you, you know, you, you go to the grocery store and you're like the third person online. What do we do? We whip out our phone just to scroll through something. We all do it. So it's being mindful as adults that we're role models in those situations, you know, having meal times be screen free. You know, if you have a teen that's in their room all weekend long on screens and playing video games and doing other things, there needs to be at least one or two periods a day where they're out of the room, off a screen, the screen's away, and they just, you know, I don't care if they walk around the house or interact with people. You have to create some screen-free times because it teaches them how to set it aside and create some internal limits. Yeah, yeah. Easier said than done, but I love that we're doing this so that you uh, uh, people at home can say, look, Dr. Laura Saunders said so. <laughs> so uh, trying to practice what we preach. Absolutely. Absolutely. Got to be good role models. So, Dr. Saunders, thank you so much for being here and sharing the latest research as parents are trying to monitor these ever-changing waters. Please take care, Kara. You too. And you can watch more content on Kara's Cures. Uh, we have it right here on the WFSB streaming news app or go back on the Kara's Cures podcast. You can listen to several episodes on the cutting edge of mental health and health in general. And you can also follow me on at Kara Sundlin on social media. I post, I post the content there. Have a great day, everyone, and be well.